Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together, we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family. Thank you for singing to me happy birthday last Sunday, even though I wasn't here. I was going to come up this morning with like a cane or something like that, but I forgot. Um, But thank you. I felt your love as I listened to the message as we were driving home. Um, And I'm glad to say that I used my first senior citizen discount this week, so I saved a whole $2. (laughs) You might as well embrace it, right? Anyways, this morning we're going to look at a phrase that we use basically every week here at LBIC. When we come to the communion table, we quote Jesus saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. This is what Jesus said when he sat around the table with the disciples the night before he died. New covenant. What did Jesus mean when he said, this is a new covenant? We're actually gonna go back to the book of Jeremiah to look and set, to shed some light on this. And I know it kind of feels weird to go back to an Old Testament prophet to see what, uh, what we can understand about Jesus, but you know that's kind of how the Bible works. One thing reflects the other, and back and forth we go. But this in Jeremiah is where we really first hear. There's some there's some hints of it in Deuteronomy 30, but this is where we really hear this phrase, "New Covenant," that that we are going to be presented with. And so that's where we're going to start this morning is by reading in Jeremiah chapter 34, starting at verse 27. Is it 34 or 31? I feel like it's 31. Yeah, I didn't write it down, so there you go. Chapter 31, starting at verse 27. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy, and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is a covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their sins and forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So we've been in and out of Jeremiah a lot the past few weeks, but just as a reminder, Jeremiah was a prophet during the time in which Judah fell to Babylon. Many of the Israelites were exiled to Babylon. So in the midst of the the Israelites being in exile, Jeremiah gives this message of hope for God's people in a time of great distress. And we've touched on this message of hope a couple times. We know that Jeremiah bought land based on this trust that he had in God that he would bring them back to this land to rebuild. 
And we hear of God's instruction to build while they're in Babylon, indicating God's desire for them to engage and be where you are, live where you are. And to be honest, I don't actually know the hows and whys of the lectionary scripture passage choosing, because the passage that I read a couple weeks ago of Jeremiah buying land was actually after this covenant promise that we hear today. So I don't know why they do that to us, but they do, and we just follow it along and pick up the pieces, I guess, after that. But so here we have today this promise from God, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. This may be one of the first offerings of hope that the Israelites have heard in a long time. Jeremiah kept saying, turn from your wicked ways, turn to God, or we're going to be punished. And they didn't, and so they find themselves in this time of exile and punishment, a time in which they had no hope. And then Jeremiah kind of switches his tune, and he says, but the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring a new covenant. So this new covenant we're going to look at for a few minutes because it's different than the old covenant, and the question is why. First, it's the conditions of the covenant that are different from that of the past. The Israelites were currently experiencing the impact of the Old Covenant. Through the Old Covenant, the disobedience of the Jews had led them to be disconnected from God. You can see that the exile of Babylon is kind, to Babylon was kind of a metaphor for their exile from God. Both were a result of their disobedience. They were outside of God's protection. God's part of the covenant was, if you follow my commands, if you worship me only, I will protect you. But when they chose to stop worshiping God and following his commands, the result was a lack of protection, which led to destruction of their homeland, loss of lives, exile to Babylon, and in a sense, exile from God. Kind of, but not really, because God never stopped loving his people. So this, new, this old covenant, the new covenant, excuse me, does not have this element of reward and punishment. That's no longer part of the covenant. It's not dependent on Israel's behavior. It is based on God's desire for relationship with his people. The new covenant takes them out of this reward and punishment system, which is really a blessing because the Israelites couldn't and we cannot fulfill the payment for sin. Another way that this covenant is different is the way that it was given. This new covenant is not a set of laws written on a stone for them to look at. It's not as if Big Brother is watching over them. It's not a bunch of rules that encourage resistance. This is about a covenant that is put on their hearts. It's not about conformity or obedience. It's about identity. God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. It will be inside of them. It's not something they can attain. It's who they are. As Walter Brueggemann put it, the contrast between the old and the new covenant is its mode of reception. The old covenant from Sinai was resisted until it was broken. The new covenant will not be resisted because it will be written on their hearts. As I was thinking about this idea of identity and it being written on their hearts, surprise, surprise, I thought about family. As we watch our children or our grandchildren grow, we kind of like to attribute different personality traits or habits or characteristics to different members of the family. Let me give you a few examples. Um, our three-month-old three granddaughter does not actually have a lot of personality traits or habits yet, but she's a really good sleeper. And so is her daddy. And so it's not uncommon for us to say that she got that, that trait or that characteristic from her dad. 
My grandson loves music. Like, almost the whole time he's playing, if you're riding in the car, if he's playing, Grandma, can I listen to some music? Can I listen to some music? And that is really something that his mom's family, they love music, they listen to music, they dance to music, they're a music family. And so we can attribute that to part of his family. It's like it's part of his family identity to love music. We didn't teach him to love music. We could just say that it just happened. When you're in that family, when you're around that culture, it becomes who you are. It's part of your identity. This is what it means for God to write his covenant on our hearts. This is what it means that we won't teach each other, for we will know it. When something's part of your identity, you aren't taught it. There's a deep knowledge that's in your heart, and it's experience that you can't be taught. I do want to pause and address the idea of this old covenant. I don't want to suggest that I can have all the answers that you have for it, but as I was preparing this, I'm like, okay, you know, you, you know God doesn't make mistakes. Why did he do this? Why do, so why do we have the old covenant if now we have a new covenant? I don't know if any of you thought that before now, but I'm going to give you the answer anyways. Well, I'm going to give you a part of an answer. This is what N.T. Wright says about it. He says, in this promise of a new covenant, it's not a way of saying the old covenant was stupid or bad, it was a way of saying when God called Israel to be the people through whom he would reveal himself to the world, God was aware from the very beginning that the call of Israel to be the people of the solution was a call of people who were themselves a part of the problem. In other words, in case you didn't get all that, in other words, God was using the Israelites to let them know who God was, but in doing so, he also needed to show the Israelites that they too needed God. And so he had established this covenant. And we also can't overlook the fact that when we think about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we're reminded of the sacrificial system that was entrenched in the old covenant. So this new covenant that God offers is a fresh act of grace. Instead of laws or a covenant being distant that they, they could look at and maybe even forget, he says he puts it on their heart and in their minds. He will be their God. They will be his people. He will be our God. We will be his people. As one commentator said, and I really like this, the new covenant will be a relationship we live into and not a standard we live up to. Another commentator said this, this new approach would not require that laws be posted on a wall or carried in a box, but they would be installed in their hearts. It would be intertwined into their emotions and hopes and dreams. It's a movement from commandment to conversation, from rules to relationship. More than know the rules of God, they were to know God with their being. God didn't change the rules. God still wants us to love God. He wants us to not worship other idols. He still doesn't want us to lie or steal or kill anybody. None of that is changed. But through the new covenant, he's shifting the way that we are being. Instead of doing, we are being. We are being his people. But it seems for the Israelites, as they're exiled in Babylon, one of the biggest barriers to experiencing or receiving or believing in this new covenant that was to come is guilt. Remember, over and over, Jeremiah has said, turn from your ways, turn from your ways, turn from your ways, and they didn't, and they find themselves in exile. And this is due to the poor choices that they've made. It's due to their choices to not worship God. 
But the promise of this new covenant comes from God's willful decision to forgive. Forgive and remember their sins no more. Um, there's a, a thing called the Ignatian Adventure, and it's uh, written by a, a Jesuit, and he says this about God's response to sin. We remember that God loves us conditionally, unconditionally. Who hear that right? We remember that God loves us unconditionally and wants us to be free from anything that blocks our growth in the person God hopes us to be. The pathway to living in this new covenant is through receiving the forgiveness that God offers. And this forgiveness is so grand, it's almost incomprehensible. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. God says he will forgive and remember your sins no more. Whether you're an Israelite exiled in Babylon in 587 BC, or whether you're someone trying to follow Jesus the best you can in 2022, the movement is first from God to you to forgive you. Some of you may be hearing this word of forgiveness and be familiar enough with it to accept it. Yep, I know that God forgives me. You're able to believe and receive the forgiveness of God. But I think most of us at some point in time need to be reminded of this forgiveness. Whether you're struggling to receive forgiveness based on some significantly bad choices that you've made or are making, or whether you just feel like you're off track and you can't connect, you aren't getting things exactly the way you want them to in the ordinary ins and outs of life, hear this. God's word, God says, I forgive you. I forgive you and I remember your sins no more. God could have just said he forgives because if God says he forgives, he forgives and we can take that at face value. And that should have been enough, but he knows us. And he knows that we can be a little bit limiting in the way that we forgive. And that can be a barrier to a truly restored relationship. And so he says, I don't just forgive, but I also forget. And in saying that, he's demonstrating for us what true love and what true forgiveness really is. And I have this long quote that I want to share with you, and it is in the bulletin because I didn't think to get it up on the screen. So feel free to read along if you would like. But listen to this. God sees that forgiving allows for mistakes and offense but forgetting places their remembrance behind so that they can no longer be a barrier to relationship. God sees that forgiving informs another about the removal of grudges, but the forgetting halts the continual negative references. God sees that forgiving accepts sincere regret, but forgetting releases harbored anger and hurt. God sees that forgiveness receives an apology and accepts blame, but forgetting closes wounds and fades scars. God sees that forgiveness soothes disgust and disappointment, but forgetting builds determination to deter such distress in the future. God sees that forgiveness is an act of compassion prompting worth and value in another, but forgetting is an act of love that reinforces the desire that the relationship not be broken. So God is demonstrating for us his deep, deep love by saying, I offer this covenant. I know your heart, and I, I know that for you to, to live into this fully, you need to know that you're forgiven. I forgive you, and what you also need to hear is that I forget. So what does it look like to live into this new co covenant with the forgiveness that we have from God? 
I'm not actually going to tell you. Because today's message isn't so much about you getting it right and about you knowing God's love for you. So it is about you knowing God's love so deeply that it's written on your hearts and minds so you don't have to look at a checklist to see if you're doing all things right. You don't need to qualify to be a good follower of Jesus. And as I've been meditating over this passage all week, there's been a, a scripture verse that's come to my mind. It's not one that the lectionary refers to this for this week, but it's the, ver the message version of Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Living in this new covenant life does not mean we throw away the law. It means we throw away the burden of the law. It means we come to understand the law as a way of life that includes unforced rhythms of grace. And when we're able to live in this new covenant life, then we're able to read the psalm, like the one Brock read this morning, that I think can be a stumbling block. How I love your law, I meditated on it all day long. Mm, nope, I don't. I don't really love rules and restrictions. I don't meditate on the Ten Commandments every day and night. And of course, like, all, like a lot of the Psalms, there are all these absolutes, always and forever, and I, I, I can't say those and be truthful. But the Psalms are written to express the fullness of our emotions. And so when we hear those words like always and forever, it's not saying I always do, it's more of a desire. I always wanna praise you. I always wanna meditate on your word. But law, when we say I meditate on your law, it doesn't mean the Ten Commandments or the 613 commands that are in the Old Testament. We would all consider those kind of part of the Old Covenant. But in the Hebrew word Torah means law. But Torah is more than just rules or laws. It's God's teaching. It's God's instruction. It's not something that's old or obsolete. It's more of an ongoing instruction for how we live our life as a child of God. So this law is more like a guide, part of our daily life that leads and directs us. It doesn't have the sole duty of convicting us of sin, like most of us actually think it does. But what if meditating on this law was more like receiving and living into the invitation to Jesus, from Jesus to walk with him? to work with him, to watch how he does life. If it's a, it is a gift from God to guide us, it shines light on the wisdom of God, it provides a, revel a revelation of who God is, it helps us draw closer to God. So what if the law is not a barrier, but a bridge? A bridge that gets to the heart and the mind connecting you with God. What if the one who just said, not only I forgive, but I will forget your sins, is connecting with you through this guide, through this law? Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me. Make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. 
I become more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. It's a snippet of what it can look like if we receive this new covenant, when we receive the forgiveness he offers and allow God to put his law in our minds and on our hearts. So this new covenant that Jesus represents, Jesus says the cup represents, this is a covenant that starts with forgiveness and it leads to an identity in Christ. Not a list of rules to follow, or for that matter, to break, but it comes with an identity in God so when we're called to love God and love others, it not, it's not so that the judge on high will abandon us or exile us. It's because he loves us so deeply that he wants to be in relationship with us, to know him, to experience him in ways that cannot be taught. This is actually some of what we mean when we talk about spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is a continuing response of the reality of God's grace shaping us into the likeness of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in the community of faith for the sake of others. It's a process of being conformed to the image of Jesus for the glory of God, for the sake of others. This new covenant is freeing. It's invitational. It's no longer staying, saying, stay on the straight and narrow so you don't get zapped by the mean judge watching and waiting for you to mess up. It's living into an identity that God has placed on your heart so you know him and you know his love. You can be more like him in a way that goes beyond any teaching that anyone can give you. It's who you are. It's a part of you. And I might add that just as we are no longer to walk in fear of falling off the straight and narrow path, we're also, we also don't need to judge how our neighbor is doing on that path. Just as we are invited to be known and to know God, so too are those around us, even if their path looks a little bit different than ours. As the fulfillment of the new covenant, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, love God above all else, and the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. Receive God's love. Love those around you. Try to love yourself a little bit better. Through this new covenant, God provides the way for us to love God, to love ourselves, and then to love our neighbors. They're all impacted by God's movement of love towards us. He moved towards us first, and we respond in that love. We love because God loved us first. Here's the invitation again from the one who fulfilled the new covenant. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When Jesus says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, he's saying this is a new way of being with God and receiving his grace. It's no longer a system of reward and punishment, which we never could fulfill. It's grace that starts with the forgiveness of sins 
and transforms us into this beautiful arena of love, which is the imprint of God in our hearts and our minds. As we come to a time of communion, I'd like to you to reflect for a moment. Are you stuck on receiving his love and fully living into this idea of God being your God and you being his people because there is still a barrier for you of receiving his forgiveness? Are you stuck in following the old covenant mode of doing and striving for external obedience? Or maybe you're in a place where you're celebrating God's love and forgiveness and seek to continue to step into this internal mode of faith. Wherever you are, Jesus welcomes you to the table. Would you join me with a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for this new covenant, this new way of being, being your people, you being our God, and it takes away the striving and the achieving. It's just about being. Lord, I pray for each one of us this morning, some of us that are stuck, not really able to receive your forgiveness. Through your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you break down that barrier? I pray for those who are striving and doing. We get caught up in this world or thinking that our striving and doing is a way that we receive your love and help us to be reminded, Lord, that you loved us first, even when we're at our worst. And I celebrate, Lord, with those who are in a mode of celebration. They have received your forgiveness. They're living well into your love, but there's always a desire for more. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the promise of the new covenant that you gave so long ago. And we thank you that it's available to each one of us today. It is in your name we pray. Amen.